and then we'll jump in. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, God, we come before you in prayer, asking you, God, to give us wisdom and courage. Father, um, I know that we're here because we want to learn how to effectively evangelize a lost world. I do pray, God, that you give us an uh, extra dose of your spirit, God, that we'll be led by you, um, God, in a, in a way that um, we walk this world the way you would walk it and that you will use our lives in powerful ways, God. But thank you so much for this time. Please bless it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So this class is entitled, Now You're Talking. I guess it kind of assumes that you weren't talking before, but now you are talking. That's right. And I think sometimes when it comes to evangelism, we can feel that, like, am I talking in such a way to bring the gospel to people in a way that they can hear it? Um, you know, I'm assuming that you're here. Um, one reason is that you really have a desire to fulfill the Great Commission wherever you are. Yeah, um, and, I've, and another reason I thought um, is you can feel frustrated. Um, frustrated preaching the gospel and sharing with people and seeing so few people sure. respond to the gospel message. Yeah. I think probably more in the last five years, um, I've probably been more discouraged of sitting with people and studying the Bible and getting to a point where they just get up and walk away almost as if they don't even care about God. And they like, it's kind of this very clear rejection of the word of God, but it's like, so what? And um, so I know that even as I think about the call that I'm commanded by God to make disciples, but yet the frustration that I constantly feel, um, not with people, I know it's Satan, okay? I know it's Satan, but there's a frustration. I ask myself, am I effectively preaching the gospel in such a way where it's moving people's hearts in. So hopefully, even as we talk today, um, we are going to talk about evangelism. How many of you guys find it hard to evangelize? How many of you guys feel at times frustrated with evangelism? How many of you guys really want to be used by God to help people become Christians? All right, so here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to share um, some point. Just a, I'm going to give you what I'm going to call it a tool, Okay. I'm going to give you some tools today um, on how to maybe approach evangelism. Some of these things, maybe as we talk through it, you're like, oh, we do this. Some of it may change the way you think about evangelism and as we preach, but as we go through it. But one of the things I want to say is I want to share a few things that no matter what I say, it doesn't replace a few things um, that I believe that God wants you. Number one is that I can give you as many tools as possible. I'm not sure why, you, why you've come here, but I know that the number one tool or the thing that's working is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, the Bible says in John chapter 16, verse 6, that it's the Spirit that convicts the unbelievers of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. Right. And, and I know there's a reality. I don't, you can share, you can share the right thing, the wrong way, the wrong way. You can yell and scream, but it's something that God is doing, then we got to trust the spirit that convicts people's hearts. Right. So I can give you certain things, but before you meet someone, I believe that God's spirit is already working on them. Mm. The second thing here is effective evangelism. It takes courage. Um, I'm sorry. It takes courage. Um, the Bible says in Romans chapter one, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation. And 
you got to have great courage. You've got to at least open your mouth. I've seen people who help many people become Christians and they can't, they can barely articulate the gospel, but it's God, I think, blessed their boldness. And it's, but they, and I find a lot of times it's younger Christians who sometimes seems more fruitful than older Christians and they know more. So I'm like, sometimes it's just the courage and boldness and not so much in what we say and how we say it. So it's the conviction of spirit, courage. I think another thing, the last two is, and I'm, I'm finding this more and more, it's I'm having a Christ-like love for people. Um, and again, these aren't, I'm sharing these things. I think these things are more important than things I'm going to share. Um, I think we've got to love people. The Bible says they'll know that you're, dis- that they're, you're disciples by, their, by your love, by our love for one another. And again, the reason why I'm putting these things out there first, because if you're coming here thinking, I'm going to give you a magic pill, it doesn't exist. Yeah. You got to go preach the word. You got to pray. God, I pray for your spirit to convict their hearts. And you got and you know, and you got to trust that if I just keep loving people, it breaks down all types of walls. The last thing here is prayer. The Bible says in Colossians chapter four, verse two, that we got to be devoted to prayer. Um, one of the questions I found in my own heart recently is how much do I pray for people? We're like, I want to be effective. I want, I'm studying with my neighbor. How much do we pray for them? Mm-hmm. And I realized that there are some things in my heart that I'm like, God, I, I got to keep praying. I got to keep trusting in you. So I want to put those things out there first. So if you're coming again, if you're coming here and you're thinking, wow, I'm going to get this. Now I'm talking. I got this. I got this thing and I'm going to change the world. The Holy Spirit is working. You got to love, you got to be courageous, and you got to tap into a powerful God and trust that God can change hearts. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So if you leave you, those four things, if you don't listen to anything else, those four things can change the world. And you got to trust in a powerful God. All that being said, um, I am going to share, go to Acts chapter 17. Um... And again, what I'm going to do is share, um, I want to change your way of thinking. Is that okay? I just want to change your way of thinking because what I want to talk about is how do we reach, listen to this, this culture. Okay? Um, 23 years ago, um, I became a disciple. Um, And I remember when I shared my faith and I talked to people about God, that a lot of people were like me. What does that mean? That a lot of people that I share with 23 years ago, you know what they believe? They believed that the Bible was the word of God. They believed in absolute truths. They believed in who Jesus was. When I was sharing with people, it was a lot, it seemed like I was more effective because the culture that I was sharing in was very similar to the culture I had just got saved from. And a lot of things that really connected was things like hypocrisy. And we talked about those things, and I was like, hey, but something happened is now, 23 years later, the Bible hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. The word hasn't changed, but the culture's changed. And I realized I share my faith the same way I did 23 years ago that I do today. And for some reason, I'm realizing it's not as effective as it was 23 years ago. And it's not because the Bible has lost power. But it's because I'm missing something 
I'm not able to get to the culture. I think what I tend to do, because 23 years, I can say hard things, and people are like, okay, I can take it, but now I feel like I can share my faith. I, I'm turning more people away. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And closing doors instead of opening doors. And so it's been, let me share this. I'm, in, I'm on a journey, and I think we'll always stay on a journey. And in this journey, I've been reading books, I've been studying, I've been trying to figure out, reading the scriptures and trying to figure out, God, I want to have an impact on a lost world. But something, and I, and I know all the things are true, but I want to learn how do I reach this culture. And it's something. And I, I was reading this thing, I'm going to share a few things here, but let me give you a few stats here, just some things that will help you out. And then we're going to go straight to this tool and I'm going to have us think a little bit. Um... Here's some good news. Three quarters. Oh, let me show you this. The generation today, most, it says 49%. They did this poll. 49% of America, they say 49% are active church-going people. Active church-going means they go to church at least once, maybe twice a month. I know that's what they call active church-going. This is good to know about the culture. You want to reach the culture? You got to know a little bit about the culture so you know who you're talking to. 33%, they say, of the culture is de-churched. What is de-churched? De-churched means they used to go to church, but for various reasons, they stopped going to church. Now, my culture, majority of people were active. But understand, the people that I share with now, a lot of them have, they're disenchanted with church. Things have happened, so they're not totally against it, but I got to figure out how to help them with things, well, now it's this religious, it's, there's a lot of things, these words they coin where they stop going to church. But 10%, that's 33, 10%, they call purely unchurched. The purely unchurched are those who don't go to church. And every year, because of people are de-churched and they're leaving churches, the number of purely unchurched is rising every year. Yeah. So understand this. As the years go on, you're going to meet people who don't really know about the Bible, don't know about Jesus. I come 23 years ago, most people read the Bible or went to church or were raised with biblical convictions. As the years go on, the people you're sharing with, give you an example. I studied the Bible with a guy recently, and he said he was Christian, okay? This is not in my notes, but I want to share this. And we sat down and we're studying the Bible. This is no lie. And we're studying... And he says, I'm Christian, I believe. We start studying the Bible. And he says, oh, can I ask you a question? Hold on. Wait, wait a minute. Are you saying that Jesus is God? And I look at him and says, you're a Christian? He says, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. But for me, I'm thinking, how can you not believe that? But that's the culture we're in. I label, I know the label of Christian. And I believe in Christian ideas. But there are also many other truths. I just label myself Christian. So when a person says they're a Christian today, it doesn't mean they believe in the Trinity. It doesn't mean that they believe the Bible is the word of God. I'm Christian, but the Bible is just another path, and I've chosen to take that path. The culture has changed. That's all I'm trying to help you understand. And if you don't realize the culture has changed, here's what we'll do. You'll keep studying the Bible with people, and they'll be walking away because they never believed the Bible was true. You'll do a great word study. But their understanding is not your understanding. 
They may say yes, but they are yes. Yeah, I believe it's the word of God. They may not believe it's the complete authority of God. The culture's changing. You just got to pick up and understand the culture a little bit. Does that make sense? Does that, are you following? Yeah. All right. They say six, three, three quarters. Here's some good news. Three quarters of unchurched people own a Bible. Most people, the D church, the purely unchurched, most people who don't go to church, they do own a Bible. That's a good thing. Another good six in 10 churchless adults prayed in the past week. Most people, six out of 10 people who don't even go to church in some form, they prayed last week. So what it tells me is that people are still searching. There's, there's encouragement in that. And two thirds say that they tried, two thirds people say the unchurched say they tried to grow spiritually in the past month by talking to family and friends about their faith, watching religious TVs or programs. So here's what I realized. Even though people in this culture may not seem like they care about God, they are seeking some spiritual things and trying to figure God out. So why are we doing this class right here? Hopefully because, because they're trying to figure out something. We got to figure out how do we interact with them to at least help them on their journey to find God and do our best to not close doors. And I know God is working. I know the Holy Spirit is working. I know it takes courage. The Bible is the word of God. It breaks down walls. We got to pray. I know all that. But I do believe that God works through us. So we do have a role in that. Okay. Here's a tool I want to talk about today. I'm going to kind of go through it. And here's my question I asked myself in this class. How can we connect the gospel to our culture today? How do we connect the gospel to our culture today? The tool, you can write this down, it's called, I want to talk about something called gospel cultural hermeneutics. Gospel cultural hermeneutics. In other words, we find the cultural text. We look at the culture and we try to interpret the culture, culture in the lens of the gospel. So in, when you think about hermeneutics, like how do I interpret? How do we interpret this culture? In other words, look at the cultural text. How do we look at the culture and learn the behaviors? Learn the, the things that shape the culture. Learn the way they think so that we can bring the, cult, the gospel into that culture. Does that make sense? And then once we can understand the culture... Then is how now that we understand the culture, how do we present the gospel in such a way using the cultural language so they can hear the gospel? You got it? Interpreting the culture, how to look at the once you understand the culture and understand this culture's language. Now, how do I help to bring them the gospel so that they can connect the gospel with their culture and their language? And then finally, with this is we got to figure out how do we show this culture how Jesus fulfills their storyline. Because this culture has a storyline that they're living in. And we got to figure out how do we interpret that? How do we, and so, and then bring Christ into that culture. Does, are you with me so far? All right. Write this down. Here are the three things that I'm going to talk about and give you practicals on. And number one. We have to enter the storyline of the culture. 
One, you have to enter the storyline of the culture. Number two, we have to challenge the storyline of the culture. And number three, we have to fulfill the storyline of the culture with Jesus Christ. So we got to enter it, we got to challenge it, and then we got to fulfill it, fulfill the storyline with Jesus Christ. You have that? Yeah. The greatest example of that is in Acts chapter 17. Now let's, let's go to the Bible. Paul does this in a masterful way. And the way he does this, I, I pulled, I'm going to break this down and give us six, there'll be six different things that I want us to think about as we go out into the culture. Six things that Paul did that I believe that if we can at least attempt to do these things, and let you know, all these things I'm sharing are things that even I've been personally um, in my evangelism, and I'm seeing, I'm at least, I know God has changed their heart, but I'm seeing people at least open to listening to me now and willing to hear about Jesus in the word, whereas before they, did, they shut it down right away. So someone's like, I got to at least, I got to grow so at least I can be a great ambassador for Christ. Are you with me? Yeah. Acts chapter 17. Let's look at a few things here. Make sure I'm not skipping some stuff. Okay. Acts chapter, chapter 17, verse 16. Paul was told to go to Athens, and while he's in Athens, he's waiting for um, Silas and Timothy. And I'm going to break this down a little bit at a time. And verse 16 says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Stop right there. So Paul is in Athens, and now he's, while he's in Athens, he's looking around, and he's seeing the culture. So the first thing we're talking about, I'm sorry, I'm going to be a little loud. We have to enter the storyline of the culture. My first point of entering the storyline is we have to learn how to, read, how to read the culture. So I get this picture. Paul enters, and we learn from history that there were over, you got to imagine he's there and he's looking around. There's over 3,000 idols. And there's an idol in almost every single doorway. And he's seeing all these images. So he goes in to the culture, in a sense, and he stands there and he's looking around and he's distressed because he's seeing the culture. And I think the first thing I want to force to think about this is, do we ever stop to read the culture? We can be so busy. Let me go preach the word, but stop for a second. Do you ever stop to say, let me enter the culture. Let me stop for a little bit and think about what is this culture like? What is the chief language? What is the dominant idea in this culture? What are the facts about the culture that I'm in? What do you see? Do you stop, look, and listen? If you don't know the culture, and I'm not saying that we lose our distinctiveness as Christians, but if you don't understand the culture you're preaching to, preaching to how are you going to bring the gospel to them? How can we read the culture? This is more, and I'm going to kind of change a little bit. It's, not, it's more getting us to think about things in practicals, okay? How do we read the culture? How many of you guys watch TV? 
Netflix, Hulu, CNN. Do you realize all that is part of the culture? If you stop for a second, you will learn the values of the culture by the things you watch on TV. If you stop for a second, the things you listen to in music, the new songs that have come out, you can learn what the culture values. But a lot of times it's like, no, I'm going to just keep doing it this way. And it's fine because Christ, the Holy Spirit, and prayer moves hearts more than I'm saying. But I'm just gospel, cultural, hermeneutics. Stop for a second and think about the culture. Think about the people. Observe what they're seeking and what they're saying. What gives people's lives meaning? Think about it, because a lot of it, like, if you walk in, hey, Jesus can give you meaning, but hold on, do you know what already gives them meaning? meaning? Think about your schools, your workplace, your neighborhoods. If we read the culture today, we will find, we will see that, that there is idols of self in this culture. You, if you paid attention, pleasure is like an idol in this culture. Independence, individualism, materialism, achievement and success. How can I get ahead? How can my child be, get ahead and be the best? If you just stop and read the culture, you walk in, and if you stop, sometimes you'll feel distressed. You'll feel like, wow, people are missing the mark. The culture... Look at the culture. They're searching, they're searching for identity. Yep. Think about it. They don't know who they are anymore. Who am I? This culture, if you really think about it, it's a strong desire. They want to be loved. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just stop and thought to read the culture, it won't change the message of Christ, but it may change how you talk to people about Christ. Right. But if you don't stop a little bit, when you're watching movies and you're, and you're looking and you're listening and you're talking to people at your job, if you don't hear what they're saying, why would they want to hear what you're saying? That's true. One of my biggest problems is that I haven't changed to listen to people. And I just keep on doing what I'm doing, right. expecting the same results. But realizing, man, it's so frustrating that people aren't listening. I'm like, maybe it's not them. Maybe there are some things with me that I can change. Secondly, under, you got to enter the storyline. It's not enough to read it. Now you got to understand the culture. Let's look at what Paul does here. In verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. Some of them asked, well, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They seem, and they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and understanding and listening to the the latest ideas. Now stop. The second thing I love what Paul did is, 
It says he went in the synagogue and he reasoned. Listen. And then he went to the marketplace. If you've been in Greece, which we, I just came back from last year, and you've looked at the marketplaces, they, he was there talking to people, reasoning to people, understanding people, understanding this Athenian culture. Why do you do what you do? Why do you worship the idols? He began to understand them. And I realized, do I actually take time to understand people's worldview and why they believe what they believe? Paul began to talk to the philosophers and all the people. And I think one of the things, not only did he read the culture and he see it, but he began to understand it. Amen. You know, it's hard to bring people to Christ if you don't understand where people are coming from. A few questions that we have to think about to understand. And you ask, well, what is their, what are people's worldview? How do they view the world? What does it mean to them? Like, when they think of how to connect with the world, how are they thinking about those things? What is their cry? Like, what is their existential cry? What gives their life meaning? Right? Do we talk to people at our jobs? And like, like, how do you, what gives your life meaning? Because when you figure that out, you begin to understand people. Yeah. How are you seeking to connect spiritually? Understanding people. You know, we got to listen to people. We got to enter their thinking. We have to ask more questions. I know that sometimes when I'm sharing about Christ, I, here's, this is my heart. I'm not listening to them to understand. I'm only listening to figure out when I can jump in to say what I want to say. Right. It's almost like double dust jump rope. It's like, they're talking. Okay. 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 So you go to work, you go to school, you go, Hey, do you go to church? You know, I'm like, I'm trying to find, I'm here, all I'm hearing is like Charlie Brown. What, 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 what? I'm not listening to a word you're saying, but I just want to think, so let me talk about Jesus. And I'm realizing like, I don't love them. Right. I don't want to understand them. I just want you to hear what I want to hear, get a visitor church, and you become a Christian. Now, there's nothing inherently, inherently wrong with that, but it's, do I understand where you're coming from? Am I alone in that? Do you, no, can no, you relate? No, no. Right? So when you think, you're like, man, it's so hard to convert my neighbors and my classmates and the teenagers and, and all those people. It's like, man, I wonder if we stop to understand them and where they're coming from. I was sharing my faith with this guy recently. This is me putting this into practice. Because I started reading this stuff, and I actually, just to let you know, as I was studying this for like for a while, I said, let me go ahead and keep trying this myself and see if it actually works. Because you can't, <laughs> you know? Because it's a tool, remember. It's not a tool. It's only a tool. All right? But I was sharing with this guy, and I walked, and I said, and I started with, hey, man, you, hey, you go to church, you believe in Jesus? And he stopped. And then he says to me, he says, and he paused, he says, well, I'm spiritual. And I, I do... I do my own type of prayers and things, right? Okay, so my heart wanted to jump on. Well, what does that look like? And get defensive. In Paul's text, he never got defensive with them, all right? But I wanted, but then as he kept talking, and he says, because Christians are too judgmental. So I'm like, <laughs> and they're exclusive. I'm like, yeah, I got something. And then you know what I said to him? Hey, why do you think that? Yeah. 
You know what he started doing? He started talking. And I said, tell me more. Explain more. And he just opened up. And, and when this one I grew up at my family's church, if I would have shut him down, right? But when I stopped saying, okay, I see the culture and I, and I look, I'm like, okay, I know people, there's relativism, okay, and they, there's postmodern. So I've seen the culture. I'm thinking, whoever I'm talking to is a good chance that they don't believe in organized religion. So all these things I'm thinking, so I'm like, this is what the culture's like. So when I talk to this guy, what is he going to be like? And when he said it, I thought, all right, now let me see to understand why he believes. How did he get to this point? But I was sincere with that, not being critical. I entered to the marketplace and I began to talk to understand. Question for us is do you seek to understand even other religions when they talk? Other people. And I even talk, I talked to people. I was like, yeah, I'm Muslim and this, I'm a Christian. You know what I, I was like, oh, I'm like, hey, so why are you Muslim? What is that like? And what are the holly is like? And how do you worship in? And I start asking more questions. And the more I ask, guess what? I learn. And as I learn, I found as I understand when I'm talking to somebody else, I can speak intellectually about, so you probably, how do you know? Well, I talk to a lot of people and I understand where you're coming from. But reading the culture and understanding it is not enough. Verse 22. Here is now where I think it may be a little bit harder for us. All right. All right. All right. In verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very what? Okay. So there's a problem with this. It's how we read this word in our culture and the way we think. Paul is not attacking them here. See, you read, you're very religious. We think there's an attack. Some translation says superstitious. And I read this, it says, this is a most unhappy translation. We use the word superstitious of of, of a superstitious or very religious always in a bad sense to denote being over scrupulous and rigid in religious observances particularly in smaller matters or to a zealous devotion to rights. But the word here is designed to convey no such idea. It properly means reverence for the gods or demons. He was not offending his audience. He was saying that I can see how reverent you are. He was empathizing with them. Right? So he wasn't slamming them. He read the culture, so many idols, then he talked in the marketplaces, he talked in the synagogues, he talked in philosophy. Oh, now I understand your latest ideas, but then he said, I see how reverent you are. As a positive thing. I see how spiritual, how God-fearing you are. And I realized how much do we empathize with people. And, I, and here's the question that you ask. What makes, think about this, what makes their worldview so attractive? Think about it. Well, I believe that you only got to be spiritual, or I believe that there's so many truths. Stop and take a step back and like, man, how can that be a good thing? 
right? My position is always like, look, I want to slam you instead of thinking, you think this way. What are some of the benefits of thinking this way? Why, ask this, why would I want that message to be true? For example, how many of you guys have family members who aren't disciples? How, wouldn't it be just great if everybody goes to heaven? Wouldn't you want that to be true? If they believe a different religion or a different plan of salvation in your heart of hearts. Now, we're not going to say it, right? But in your heart of hearts, wouldn't you want, let's just let, as long as you believe in Jesus, everybody goes to heaven. Wouldn't you want that? But don't they want that too? You know, sometimes we can be so busy, ready to bring down a hammer, we don't say, hey, let me understand where you're coming from and why what you're thinking would be attractive. Mm-hmm. Also, another question is, can you feel the emotion behind their, their worldview or their storyline? See, just interpreting the culture. Like, why would I want this to be true? And I realize I tend to, and I'm learning, I'm... I'm I'm examining my own heart, and, and I think, again, I, I tend to demonize instead of empathize. I tend to put people down instead of realizing, wait a minute, I would want that to be true. Man, if, every, if that's the case, I don't got to share my faith as much. <laughs> I don't got to be as bold. I mean, if everybody who believed in Jesus was, I would want that to be true. I know it's not, but I would want that. And then communicate to them, like, I understand where you're coming from. You have all these idols. I guess so. I guess, man. Having all these idols, I guess I would want them because I, I would want to worship and please God. And even have one that says an unknown, of course, if I don't know, I would have an unknown God because I don't want to leave anybody out. Empathize with them. Why might this be attractive? Because now what you've done is you've entered their storyline. I was talking to a lady the other day. <laughs> it was funny. Empathizing. And... Um, she was a, a Nigerian lady, and she came, and she, I was at the hospital. My grandmother's in the hospital. She's out now, praise God. But and she was at the elevator, an older lady, and I said to her, I said, hey, do you believe in God? And she, like, she turned around, and she said, I said, are you, she paused, I'm like, are you Christian? What do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? And she says, I believe in a different way, right? So I'm thinking, what do you mean? What do you mean talk? What do you mean? And she says, well... She said a little bit different, but she says, uh, similar to the other guy, but she says, I don't go to church anymore. And then, very similar, she started to say that, similar to the guy, that, again, the church is exclusive. They don't love all people. Mm-hmm. And then she was, and then she just started going off, and then she pulled back, because I had my Bible out. And I looked at her, you know what I said? I said, you are right. She says, what? I said, you are right. The world, it is. The church and so many, they've closed their doors. And I took, I'm like, she's, and I took, I empathize. I'm like, she is right. And I was like, they're judgmental. People don't feel safe coming into churches. And I said, yep. And she's, and then she starts talking back. And we start going back. And I'm like, you are right. But I'm like, she and I, I said, let me, instead of just quickly, let me empathize where she's coming from. And I said, you're and you're, and where are you from? And I said, you know, and there's a lot of traditions where you're from. She's like, yes, they are. And I said, those traditions sometimes can keep us from really having a relationship with God. 
and it's all about traditions. And she said, that's what I feel. And we were talking and she opened up more and more. And I think, and I was like, man, oh, that was a good conversation. <laughs> but I empathized with her. I entered her storyline. And I saw, I'm like, yes. And I said, I think if more people were more like Jesus Christ, so many more people will be brought to Christ. But you were right. And then she kept on, then, you know, you start, people start opening up more. But I realized, do I empathize with people? Do I listen to them enough to even repeat back why that may be attractive? Amen. Now that you have entered the culture and you've understood it, you have every right to challenge it. But you can't challenge it if you haven't entered it. Okay? So now comes the point of like, now I've listened, I understand, I empathize, I see where you're coming from, and that makes, I can see how that's attractive. I can see how that can be, and, and I can see how that can be great, and I, and I feel that too, but now that you've spoken, now you can say, my next one is, under the challenge of storyline, is now you can deconstruct it. Look what Paul does here. Have I lost you guys? No. Okay. All right. I'm really excited. I, I, I've been, it's been amazing sharing. I love, amen. Share your faith. I, it's, just talk about Jesus. It's amazing. So amen. But it goes on. He says, for in verse 20, all right. My printout, it's not large enough. There you go. I got larger. Verse 23, he says, Paul says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar that with his inscription to an unknown God, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So Paul goes in, and now that he's been to the Areopagus and he's listened to them, now he begins to deconstruct their storyline. The question, he's showing them, well, how is your storyline deficient? What is lacking? Can the way you're thinking bring about the happy ending that you are chasing? What is clashing? This is how you believe, and I understand how you believe, but it's missing something that won't fulfill what you want it to fulfill. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you can, now that you enter, you can deconstruct it and show, I understand it, but there are holes in this. Right. And Paul was saying, like, yeah, I understand that you worship these idols trying to appease God, but you have this one that is unknown, and how can you really please God if you don't even know the name of the God? So you realize it's deficient. You can't get the happy ending you want because you are unable to please a God that is unknown. In other words, he's saying the God lacks a name. It can't deliver the happy ending because surely you need to know the name of your God. Paul was able to expose how their storyline was deficient and it could not bring upon the happy ending. Let me go back to this campus student. <laughs> Remember the camp, the guy I was talking about? I'm almost finished here. The guy that I was talking about as we were talking, the one who was saying that I'm spiritual, remember? I did a spiritual. And I went back and we talked and I empathized with him. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Christians can be judgmental. Now, I'm, de I'm now about to deconstruct it, right? Uh, they can be judgmental. 
and you're right. And he was talking and spirit, and he was like, yeah, and I think I understand why. And I said, can I ask you a question, though? He said, sure. I said, you know how Christians can be judgmental? He's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I said, well, don't you think that your attitude is judgmental just like theirs? Aren't you treating them the way that you say they treat people? And he stopped and says, because you want them to be loving, but, and you think, hey, being spiritual is being loving, but aren't you being unloving too? And he paused and he grinned. He was like, I have been. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, the thing you want, you're saying that you want, you're doing the same thing. So it would seem like that the way that you would counter that is by having open arms to all the people and loving people deeply. But you have become just like them. And I was only able to say it and him not get offended because I empathize with them. We went on this journey together, but now I had to help him see, yep, you are the same way. And he stepped back. And I was like, but he wasn't offended. He was able to see it. You see what I'm saying? And I think we got to be able to help people. We got to deconstruct their storyline, but you can only challenge it if you've entered it. People say, if you just believe in yourself, you'll achieve. But then you say, yeah, that is, you're right. You got a, who was it? Who just got the greatest touchdown, the most touchdowns a quarterback? Drew Brees. Drew Brees, right? And he goes to his son, he says to his sons, if you work hard, you can do anything. Right? That's what he said. You can achieve anything, you work hard. Well, that doesn't always work. There are a lot of people who work hard that aren't successful. Oh, yeah, that is true. So how about them? But it's learning to hear where people are going. Well, it's success. But, it's, but you know, there's so many people who achieve all these things, but they still haven't achieved the happy ending. But once you enter it, you can show the fallacy and the falseness of it. But that's not enough. Last two things here, and I'm going to go through them quick because I have three minutes. We have to fulfill the storyline, the culture. Number five, we got to show how the gospel answers the storyline. So far, if we're in a conversation, we've listened, we've heard, we've understood, we've empathized with the culture and their storyline. We've shared how we too would want this happy ending. We have deconstructed it to show how the happy ending is impossible with the culture storyline alone. Now we can demonstrate how the gospel is the answer to the culture storyline. That the gospel is the happy ending that people are looking for. That Jesus fulfills that cry that I'm trying to achieve happiness. I'm trying to do it by myself. I'm trying to do it by all truths. Well, they can't, the truths clash. But guess what? Jesus now can fulfill the storyline that yours is unable to meet. In verse 24, it says, the God who made the world, and he goes on, I'm going to please read, it says, the God who made the world, the Lord of heaven. And verse 25, and he is not served by human hands, talking about God. For one man, he, God, then he goes, he marked out, and God did this so that they would seek him. He says, look, it's unknown, but guess what? God can now fulfill what your unknown God can't fulfill. We got to show them how God can do that. I think the best way to do that 
This is one of the most powerful tools all of you have. The best way to show how God can give the happy ending that their storyline cannot give is your testimony. Well, I was chasing the storyline. I was chasing success. I was chasing pleasure. But it kept ending up. It could not fulfill. But Jesus changed my life. Your testimony, more than apologetics, more than theology, more than all the books you read, your testimony is more powerful because this culture, you know, they want genuineness. They want the real thing. And the more radical about Jesus and you're vulnerable, you are about how he changed you then and are changing you now. The more they're able to listen to you. Your testimony. I'm telling you, your authentic Christ change you testimony. Here's the thing I want to share this. This, your testimony should be part of every conversation you have. Because it shows the power of Jesus Christ. Read about the Good Samaritan. What changed them? Her testimony. He told me everything he ever did, and they believed. The last thing here. How do you fulfill the culture? The last step here is now you speak the gospel to the culture. And verse 23, I'm, I'm going to skip down. My time is up. Is we got to show, using the culture's metaphors, that Jesus is far better than, than what they're going after. And one verse here, at the end it says in verse 28, he says, um, for in him we live and move and have our own being. As some of you, own, your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And then he says, but therefore, since we are God's offspring, he takes their language and then shows them God's language. The last thing I would say here is one of the things that this world no longer listens to is the word sin. Why? Because we're in a culture that if you feel guilty, it's wrong. All right? I'm not being heretical what I'm about to say. But maybe, we got to get to sin, but maybe in our trying to adopt their language is using other words that are metaphors for sin. What do you mean? How about this culture understands brokenness? Yeah. The Bible speaks of brokenness and relationships with God and brokenness and saying, you know, I hear what you're going and you have all these things and your addictions and the things you're going through. You know something? There's something, there's a brokenness in you. And I think understanding, speaking their language may help out. How about instead of sin, sometimes we just, hey, this world understands corruption. Look yeah. at TV. Yeah. You know something? You're defiled and you're corrupted. A corrupt generation. It's just using their language to say the very same thing. Right. You got sin. Oh, what are you saying? You're broken. You're broken. Your relationship with God is broken. How about words like, yeah, you're just, you're rebellious. We understand rebellion. How about words like idolatry? You're just in sin. You're materialistic. You know, you just have other idols. But maybe sometimes using their language so they can hear the gospel. Brothers, my time is up. There's other things, but hopefully some of this will help us how to enter, understand it, enter it as you enter it, deconstruct it, challenge it, but then bring in Jesus Christ. And by this time, you go ahead and study the Bible because now they're like, I want to hear. 
that Jesus Christ and the gospel gives me the ending that I can get. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for coming. Thank you very much, bro.